Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, who's making fun of the weight gain that I've uh, managed to <laughs> accumulate over the holidays. I'm not. I just, you, you seem like you were pointing that out, and so I guessed. You honestly don't look like you've gained any weight. Thanks. Sure. Neither do you. Not, well, I gained some over Christmas, but I've dropped a few cents. Yeah, I was looking at you, and I'm like, Chuck's face looks a lot slimmer. When was this? Like two days ago. Not really? Yeah. God bless you. Chuck, let's get started, shall we? Yes. What is your bet for how the world is going to end? Uh, 2012, the Large Hadron Collider, maybe a third world war starting in the Middle East. I'm going to go with uh, natural disasters setting off a chain reaction of events. What would those chain reaction of events be? Oh, you know, paranoia, chaos, uh Dogs and cats living together, man fighting man, yeah. woman fighting man, woman fighting woman, right. my favorite. Yeah. And uh, yeah, then everyone kills each other. That's what I'm going with. Okay. What do you think? Uh, I think it's going to be a uh, single cataclysmic event. I think that humans are really good at adapting to stuff, e.g. climate change, that kind of thing. I don't think it has the uh, gumption to wipe out mm-hmm. humanity. A natural event or a human-generated event? It could be either one, like okay. a major asteroid impact or a nuclear gotcha. holocaust. I think it's going to be something like that, something big and right. sudden. I think Facebook and Twitter will play a part in my scenario. Well, no, no. That's the degradation of society. This is the destruction of humanity <laughs> we're talking about. Well, no. I mean, once the chain reaction starts, I think things can get out of control with information being uh, so easily uh, doled out. You know, this is why I love us, Chuck. Like, we have not spoken about this at all. No. I sent you a link like, how about this for the stuff you should know? Okay. And we haven't spoken about it, right? Right. And one of the things that um, I came up with for the intro was that we're a very paranoid species. Uh-huh. And you've just touched on that, too. Yeah. Thank you for being you, Chuck Bryant. I was talking to Emily about that the other day, that no one really knows what social media is going to do. Right. And I could definitely see paranoia spreading, false truth spreading so fast that it gets out of control. And what's the deal with Twitter? Can you really say anything important 12, 15 times a day in 160 characters or less? Uh, you're asking the wrong guy. I, I don't think so. You've got a Twitter page? Yeah, but I don't ever use it. You don't? No. I did for a little while and I just kind of stopped. like a week? <laughs> yeah. But it was, a, it was a hell of a week, man. I bet. Uh, I've been saying hell a lot in podcasts lately. Have you noticed? No. Yeah. Listen to the sun one. Okay. Hell, hell. All over the place. Fire. Yeah. Speaking of hell and fire, so we're talking about the... the um, world ending and we're talking about humanity being paranoid uh and one of those i guess beneficial byproducts of that paranoia is um planning good good sensible planning agreed right Mm -hmm. you ever heard of a little country called norway i have norwegians Uh uh-huh live there you going with the seed vault let's start with that sure what's the official name of it do you know the seed vault in Norway. The seed vault. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What they've done is they have taken um, pretty much every seed known to man. Like one and a half million species. Yeah, along with equipment, right, to help grow things. Sure. And they put it in a vault buried deep within the earth. Is it? A, I think it's in a mountainside? Somewhere in the Arctic. Okay. Yeah, I don't know exactly. I think it is in a mountainside, actually. 
Perhaps now that we you should have researched this. <laughs> well, no, there's a, well, this isn't even, this is totally supplemental. Dude. Right. And we're doing this off the top of our heads. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, I, I remember hearing that the entrance is in the side of a mountain. I think so. But yeah, so, um, there's a bunch of seeds. Yeah. And the idea if, is if, we grow things again. Right. If we're wiped out. And then the British have an underground vault that is, uh, basically a DNA depository. Yeah. I didn't know about this one until today. Yeah. They have genetic samples from all manner of, um, plant mm-hmm. and animal, right? Mm-hmm. Material, people kind of things. Yeah, they said that you could potentially rebuild an ecosystem with this stuff. Yeah, specifically wow. which ecosystem, I'm not entirely certain. Yeah, that's true. You know, is it a desert? Because who really wants to rebuild that? Yeah. Nobody. Good point. Right. Um, and then, of course, we have the point of this article, right? There's a there's a nice little moniker that gets tacked onto these things, like the uh, seed vault in Norway, the DNA vault in Britain. Right. Um, doomsday arcs. Yeah. Right? Oh, is there more than one? Well, yeah, the Nor the Norwegian thing's a doomsday arc. Oh, I thought you're you were going to talk about the specific one we're talking about, which well, is the lunar. You have to version. say the lunar doomsday arc. You can't just say doomsday arc because people say which one? The one in Britain, the one in Norway. Or so the they one all in fall under that larger heading, right? Did not realize that. It's true. Good, good info. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> so we're talking today about the lunar doomsday arc, right, Chuck? Yeah. Which uh, is a concept that was first proposed in a 1999 book. By a guy named Robert Shapiro, uh-huh. not the lawyer, right? Um, called Planetary Dreams, I believe, right? And then again in '06, right, by some actual scientists. Well, it got it, it. Yeah, he's actually a member of the Alliance to Rescue Civilization, uh-huh. which sounds kooky, but uh, Robert Shapiro and uh, his colleagues that form the higher ups at the ARC are actually really well respected. They're scientists, science writers, yeah. physicists, uh, engineers. Um, and they've come together to create this uh, group that is trying to carry out this idea of creating a doomsday vault on the moon. Yeah, and they're based at NYU at New York University. Right. And they officially actually tossed this out in 08 to, uh, at a conference in France. Yeah. And it has received a little bit of chiding and a little bit of support as well. Yeah, and I think the I was reading a blog post on it, and you get kind of the sentiment that um, a lot of people are like, "You guys are idiots," you know. This is never going to work, and here's I think why. It's super cool. I, I it, one of the comments on a blog post I read about it was, "What harm can it do?" You know, how much money have we funneled into NASA just to get to the moon and been like, "Well, we're here." Okay, cool. Right. I mean, if this thing costs even billions of dollars. Let's dissolve AIG and yeah. sell its holdings off Seriously. and then, you know, put it into this. What can it hurt is the right. point, right? And what could it help potentially is all of humanity. Right. How? And the planet. Well, Josh, the idea, like most arcs and vaults, is to bury important things um, deep within, uh, in this case, the moon. So right. they're protected in case something really bad happens. Right. And what they want to start with, um, the Alliance to Rescue Civilization, which, by the way, was very much legitimized when the European Space Agency yeah. uh, got on board with this plan. Absolutely. Um, so what this joint venture aims to do is to put all of humanity's knowledge, not all of it, because they, they are aware that there's not an infinite amount of storage. Right. But the selected most important stuff in, among humanity. So there won't be a drawer with our podcasts in a, oh, on no. a hard disk. <laughs> Buddy, they won't even consider these. It'll be all this American life. Um, they want to put it all on hard disk. Right. right. And uh, bury it on the moon. 
Yes, and um, they're going to record all this in different languages. It's pretty cool. Um, Arabic, English, Chinese, Russian, French, and Spanish. So you got your bases covered pretty much. Right, but what the hell's the point? See, I just did it again. Uh-huh. What's the <laughs> point of burying some hard disks with all of humanity's knowledge on the moon uh, anyway? Well, what you got up there, dude, is uh, DNA sequences, <laughs> uh, tech information, how to make metals, how to rebuild. Uh, that's, you know, what are you talking about? That's valuable info. It is valuable info if... If, and the whole point, remember, is to help rebuild humanity, right. civilization, if the people here on Earth can access it. Oh, okay, I got you. Right? That's the most important part. Otherwise, it's just going to sit there. So let's say that there is a um, a, a meteor. Let's uh-huh. go with mine. Yeah, yours makes more sense. A meteor hits Earth, kills off everybody except like 50 people across the planet. Okay. That's all it takes, buddy. I know. Um, and they, they, these 50 people start wandering around, uh, water world style, the postman style, take whatever bad Kevin, Kevin Costner, Costner movie. film you want. Um, how about Bull Durham style? That's probably the best style around. <laughs> okay. Uh, and they stumble upon one of 4,000 earth-based depositories, repositories. Right. And what they're going to find in these things are computers that run on wind power, solar power. And some uh, preserved food and medical supplies, that kind of thing. It, it would be like a bonanza for them, right? Yes. And when they hit the space bar on these computers to, to uh, get the screen up, they're going to find that they are receiving transmissions from the moon. If they survived, which is we'll, – we'll get to the um, the downside of this, but that's assuming that these receivers would survive that whatever cataclysmic event. Right. Sure. So, but let's say they did. Okay. So the the point of having these hard disks buried on the moon is that they're going to be hooked to radio transmitters that constantly transmit this information back to Earth. Uh huh. So in addition to uh, Debussy's La Mer, which really has very little value when you're rebuilding civilization, right? Um, there's going to be things like how to grow wheat, yeah. how to grow corn, mm-hmm. how to smelt iron, right? Uh, and how to rebuild civilization, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to do it in, like you said, I think seven different languages. I guess with an instruction manual that any post-apocalyptic right. dummy can understand. Smelting for dummies, right? You know what else they might have in there? What human and animal embryos? Yeah, how's that? They were saying that the the suspended animation the temperature needed for suspended animation right that they're figuring so far is something like uh 70 kelvin really which is real low temperatures oh, yeah. you can't really do that here on earth uh without sucking up all the energy on the planet but you can in the shade of a lunar crater uh, okay so that's definite possibility well you also have to create uh an environment that these things can can survive in Right. It's not like Earth. No. Should we talk about that? Yes. It's a three-step process. Let's hear it, Chuck. Okay. First, what you have to do is uh, build some machines that generate uh, the proper gas mix that basically replicate our atmosphere. Yeah. Because you have to create a little mini-Earth inside the moon, which is kind of mind-blowing, actually. Uh, you <laughs> by the way. <laughs> by the way. And uh, the plants uh, you know, can thrive inside this atmosphere, and then they eventually decompose and release what? CO2. Yes, they release carbon dioxide. Which is deadly to humans Mm -hmm. unless there's something present. Like algae, perhaps? Sure. So they bring along Mr. Algae, and Mr. Algae absorbs the CO2, emits oxygen, 
and basically establishes a, a cycle just like we have here on Earth. Yeah, and, and bing bang boom done. You you know what you have right there? What? Atmospheric conditions that are suitable to sustain human life. Perfect. So all of a sudden now you have a place this this uh, lunar arc now becomes a lunar colony potentially. Yeah, well, it'd be great if we had a colony up there first. Well, yeah, we need people to tend to the, yeah. the stuff. That's it, the ideal scenario. In the meantime, uh, Ark is saying that they, um, th- we could do it through the use of robotics. Right, sure, for a while. Make sure that all the stuff is functioning properly. But if you can make it so that this is sustainable for uh, human habitation, then you have a lunar colony, right? Right. <clears throat> so let's say that um, that meteor does hit. Okay. And it wipes out all but 50 people. Okay. And... By spectacular coincidence, all 4,000 sites, these uh, repository sites, mm-hmm. basically bomb shelters, right. um, are also wiped out. That's bad news. It is bad news for the 50 people on Earth. Luckily, we've got the people up on the moon right. who can come back down here and say, hey, here's all the information you need to know. Let sure. me show you how to smelt iron, buddy. Right. You know? Uh-huh. So that's uh, kind of one of the big points of the plan is that if we can get humans up there, then we have taken a part of the human population right. out of the equation of a global disaster. Mm-hmm. They'll just be up on the moon like, that stinks. Right. And then they'll have to wait like a little while. Sure. If all of humanity's wiped out, part of the contingency plan for this is that um, the people up there on the moon will wait a century, maybe two, and then come back down to Earth, and then the sexy business starts. Well... If they're waiting a century or two up there, then there's going to be sexy business on the moon, too. Sure, there will be sexy business on the moon, but then they're going to bring their sexy business back to Earth. Which means the first people will be born on the moon. Sure. They will not be Earthlings, technically. No, they'd be moonlings. <laughs> nice point, Chuck. Cute little moonlings with their little edible kneecaps. Yeah. So then once that happens <laughs> uh, and, and humanity repopulates the Earth through their sexy business, um, everything is saved. It, basically, we went to the moon... Waited for the cataclysmic event to occur. Right. Waited for the dust to settle. Went back, and we're like, "All right, let's do this again." Right? Yeah. yeah. What is wrong with this plan? Well, there's a lot of problems potentially um, <laughs> that I that I can see. One is a like I said earlier, you have to count on the fact that these receivers will uh, not be wiped out as well. Their answer to that is, well, let's say they are wiped out. Um, we'll still have the information for man to eventually rebuild them. And make them work again. Right. And the, the lunar arc will be transmitting still that whole time. Uh-huh. So when they when they do get these radio transmitters, right. the receivers back up and operating, uh, they'll be like, oh, here's all the information we need from the moon. It sounds a little far-fetched to me. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. A bit. Uh, one of the other problems, Josh, is uh, no one is going to know where these are, are hidden. Isn't that correct? Right. You're not exactly publishing that. No. If you do, then you've got somebody like the creepy blonde guy from the movie Contact trying to sabotage it. Right. Or geocachers. Sure. <laughs> the, the the most nefarious group of all. Right. They take some uh, take the radio transmitter and leave some Bhutanese money in its place or a Santana CD. Right. And I say that because we got some Bhutanese money this from week. From a geocacher. From a geocacher. Who is just this convergence of our podcasts, a walking convergence of stuff you should know. And really also, I think one of the reasons that this is um, such a derided plan, not by me, I want to say, like, I know I've sounded like I'm, I'm, I'm 
chiding it here or there. I'm really not. Like, I think it's a good idea. And I do, too. If we can j- come up with the money and it doesn't, you know, take food out of starving people's mouths, let's sure. do it, right? right. I, I agree. Um, but I think the, the, the whole thing hinges on a lunar colony. Like, yeah. yes, we could bury hard disks under the lunar surface. Mm-hmm. We could start broadcasting transmissions. But really, we have to have people on the moon with an ability to get back and forth from yeah. Earth to the moon for this to really, really work, right? Yeah, that's the ideal. And that is, we're nowhere near that. No. We're a long way off. They've poked around that, that scenario a bit, but it's not it's not ramped up anytime soon. No. They do hope to have that um, that stuff buried by 2020. Yeah, and then uh, what was the other date? By, by 2035? They want to have um, living organisms right. in that uh, three-part atmospheric creator machine right 2035 sounds like the serious future but i said that about 2010 too when i was a snot-nosed little seventh grader and now it's the future it is yeah we are living the future and there was one other point that um i thought was pretty interesting i read about this um the whole sentiment of it while it does underline our paranoia as a species it also underlines our um disposable mentality Mm mm-hmm like, we're like, okay, the Earth is screwed up. We'll just move on to the moon. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Rather than try, you know, climate change was a big uh, reason that this whole idea was proposed. Sure. So uh, rather than do anything about it, let's just figure out a way to get out of here. See what other planet we can mess up. Yeah. Have you heard of terraforming? Uh, no. They're talking about terraforming Mars. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what they would shoot into the atmosphere around Mars, uh, but they or shoot into orbit around Mars. But they there's, I guess, um elements that they can put into orbit around mars that could spontaneously generate an atmosphere really which would a habitable atmosphere right which would essentially turn mars into it you know the new earth cool yeah get your ass to mars (laughs) thank you for that chuck name that movie uh total recall i imagine very good job yeah all right so chuck i think that's about it for the doomsday arc if you want to read about that or the norwegian seed bank uh, I don't know if we have one on the I British think we Gene do. Bank. Oh, no, no, no. We got one on the Norwegian Seed Bank, though. Okay. Uh, you can type uh, Doomsday Arc into the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. It will bring up all manner of interesting stuff. Uh, and, of course, that leads us to listener mail. Yes. Uh, I did want to say an official thank you to Mark from Massachusetts for sending us Bhutanese money. Yeah, thanks, Mark. He he leaves those as his little uh, geocaching treats, in the uh, as little found items. And I did look it up. One U.S. dollar is equal to forty-five. Uh, however you pronounce that, Goldrums, Bhutanese Goldrums. Right? Yeah. Nice. So it's not very much money. No, but it's pretty. It was the sentiment. Yeah, it's very pretty. Not like our ugly American money. Uh, okay, Josh, I'm going to call this a funny email. So you get on the air. This is from Kelly. Okay. Josh and Chuck, I recently heard a podcast where a woman wrote in to say your podcast saved her life. I felt compelled to tell you that you also saved another nearly unfortunate soul, that of my coworker. Oh, yeah. You see, you read this one? She's from Detroit. Yeah. You see, I work for a local magazine in a small office that consists of about 20 short cubicles. For the most part, the people I work with are great, but I always assume there is the exception of one. Uh, I liken her to the case of the Mondays woman from Office Space. Mm-hmm. Great movie. She chews and pops her gum incessantly. She repeatedly and loudly sighs oy vey throughout the day. Someone taught her that word one day, and she thought it was the greatest thing since she learned to blame everything on Murphy's Law. 
She wears ungodly amounts of perfume that smells of my grandmother's couch and lingers well after she has left the area, and possibly worst, but definitely not last, she whistles loudly. Christmas carols in midsummer. Do you know what's more irritating than a poison ivy rash and a spot you can't reach, Josh? What? Hearing Let It Snow whistled through the maw of an obnoxious coworker in July. But let me assure you, I grew up with three older brothers. I'm a poster child for tolerance. This woman would try the patience of a saint. One day when I was at my wit's end, another coworker of mine came into the office looking a little under the weather. I asked him what was up, and he said his brain had shrunk and went on to explain that he had won too many the night before, and subsequently his body had stolen water from his brain. And basically, this is how she learned of our podcast, because mm-hmm. this guy had a hangover. Yeah. Now, whenever I want to hear the unmistakable first notes of Oh Holy Night, my favorite Christmas song, I plug in and let your sweet voices of salvation take me away. So on behalf of me and my coworker that I nearly went postal on, thank you and keep up the good work, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Thank so you she, for not murdering yeah, anybody. She almost killed her coworker. Yeah. I think I would, too. Yeah, she sounds kind of annoying. Boy, they... <laughs> nice, Chuck. Uh, before I uh, give a call out for emails, I want to mention our Kiva team. It's been a little while. Good job, Josh. Dude, we have generated, since the beginning of October, right? Mm-hmm. The Stuff You Should Know listeners who have joined the Kiva team and donated have ma- had made over $60,000 in donations since the beginning of October. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It's we're amazing. The, yeah, we are the seventh largest donation team. And here's what gets me, Josh. What? I know that a scant percentage of our total listenership has gotten involved here. Yeah, I think it's what, like 2,000, 1,000? Yeah, like 1,200, 1,300 members, I think. So that's like, like one half of a half of a percent of our listenership? I think so. Yeah. Well, uh, if you want to join our Kiva team, there's always room for one more or 100,000 more, whatever you like. Yes. Uh, every once in a while, Chuck and I go on the team message board and say hi, and there's all manner of interesting people on there. All manner. Yeah, you can uh, check it out at www.kiva, that's K-I-V-A dot org slash team, singular, slash stuff you should know, right? It'll make you feel good, I promise. Yeah, and if you have an uh, email that contains a descriptor of how your grandmother's couch smells, you can wrap it up and send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?